We live inside a dream. Is it an homage to Alice in Wonderland or a poisoned Valentine to Hollywood? Any which way, even if you hate it, your subconscious will thank you for seeing this brilliant bonkers film. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for listening to Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates with your two wimps who like Kubrick and Lynch. My name is Jeremy Schmidt. And my name is Eric Keppel. Do, you know, Jeremy, that was very that was a very poignant ob- observation. Did you did you write that yourself? I did. You know, I was just thinking about the film after I watched it, and I decided to write a few words down, and those were those words. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, that didn't come from the Guardian. That's not where that oh, okay. came from. The Guardian. dot you know, Jeremy, I'm going to do something uh, that the audience will not hear. You'll hear it, though. I'm just I'm letting you know just, just so you're not terrified. Uh, oh, right. I know what that is. And I'll we have a, yeah, we have safe a little, uh, with me. <laughs> yeah. We have a little, uh, uh, let's call him an intern. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, named Craig. Yes. And uh, we pay him very handsomely. We pay him in, our salaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is uh, <laughs> a lot. A lot of money. Yeah. You know, speaking of... Our salaries, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, we're doing bonus episodes over there. We just did an episode on One Cut of the Dead. We're going to do a Lily Land episode very soon. You actually might have already heard it if you're on the Patreon, uh, where we will be discussing the conspiracy theories surrounding, or the hidden meanings surrounding uh, Eyes Wide Shut. We also discuss Tales from the Crypt episodes, all sorts of stuff going on over there patreon.com slash eric and jeremy five bucks a month uh you can get on there and listen to weekly bonus episodes and you know jeremy i had not heard the uh the alice in wonderland analogy to inland empire Mm. i want i want i want to bring that up before before i forget about it because that that's kind of interesting i don't know if how like how much inland empire really lines up with alice in wonderland but i do i do kind of like that analogy it seems like something lynch would do for sure i mean we saw it with wild at heart in the wizard of oz and then this film has rabbits in it so maybe (laughs) and and that is the only insight i have into that into that uh, analogy because i i don't really know i mean we'll get into this a little bit later but as far as inland empire goes i have a big question mark on the top of my head like this is one that I think I have a lot of trouble with piecing up, like picking apart and understanding the film for its different parts. And we'll get into why a little bit later, but it's, it's the, it's the hardest one for me to get through. Even, even trying to watch it today, I had to do it in two goes. I had to like take a big break in the middle. So, and I don't really know what that's about with this. I don't know what my mental block is with this film, but like you know how like Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive, we have like a lot of fun like trying to understand the meaning of it. Yeah, this one I I almost don't care, and it's and it's really tough. 
but I, I am going to do the best job I can <laughs> on this episode to get through it. Yeah. You know what? To be honest with you, I'm in the exact same boat <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about more, more about why when we get to like the production of the thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, first of all, this is our last David Lynch movie. Uh, so we'll, we'll, uh, next week we're going to do AI. Uh, so we're technically done with, with, with the films of Kubrick and Lynch, which, uh, you know, we'll have to do. I think we'll do it as a as a Patreon episode, Jeremy, where we go through and rank our our Lynch and Kubrick episodes, and just kind of like reflect on this uh, just monumentous uh, uh, accomplishment that we just did. I can't watching. believe we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it actually it seems like it didn't take that long either. Is no, it? I guess maybe like six months or something. Yeah. Wow. And and like think about like. We could do this podcast forever, Eric, and think about all the directors. We could just totally watch all their stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. exciting to think about. It is. It is. Um, you know, Jeremy, we're gonna we're coming up on uh, The Return. We're going to do The Return. Um, and uh, so here's the thing about The Return, and I kind of want to bring it up now because this is a David Lynch episode. And, uh, you know, I want, I, I want to hear from you about this and I want to hear, uh, what the fans have to say. So the thing about the return, Jeremy is, you know, we were doing three episodes of the regular Twin Peaks show per episode of our podcast. Uh, and those episodes are like 40 minutes or something, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the return episodes are each one hour long. So what I propose because I do think we're going to have a lot to talk about and I, I don't, I, I would hate to just like rush through stuff. Um, I would like to propose doing two episodes of the return per episode of the podcast. Uh, that's my preference, but I'm just throwing it out there as sort of like a, a suggestion. So uh, welcome to voice your opinion. We can think about it, wait and see what the fans have to say, but that's, uh, I'm just, so, I just wanted so to two, throw that out there. Two episodes per one podcast episode. episode. Per, yeah. Well, isn't that kind of what our schedule was for the show? Yeah. Well, for for the original run of Twin Peaks, we were doing three episodes per podcast right. episode, and that felt like a little much. I agree. And these episodes, the return episodes are a little longer. And I feel like so. they might be a little bit more dense, especially when you consider the season two stuff of Twin yeah. Peaks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm, d- I'm, t- I'm down with that. I also kind of want to make it last. Good. Okay, good. I was, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a great time. We have, you know, we have at least one guest lined up that I'm very excited about. Um, if anyone out there knows of someone who, who they think would be fun to talk to about the return, let us know. We also got to get Hearn back on. Michael Hearn, we got to yeah, get Yeah, I bet he'd, I bet he'd rewatch some of the return uh, with us to, to discuss it. Uh, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, uh, so that's coming up in about two weeks here. We'll get, we'll dive into the return. Um, so, Jeremy, so this was your second time watching Inland Empire, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. So tell me about how you felt the first time compared to this time. Okay, so the first time I watched it, I it was almost like so excruciating for me that I I might not have even finished it. And f- I in fact I'm just gonna say I didn't finish it the first time because 
there were parts when I watched it today that I totally like, I feel like I just have not seen that image. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, this is just not familiar what I'm looking at right now. And it was sort of the later stuff in the film. So I think, I think I must've turned it off at some point. Um, I also, my, my thinking around Inland Empire was nothing but confusion, not so much with the premise, but everything about Inland Empire. I didn't really understand. Like, I wasn't sure why a, a David Lynch film was so hard to find. Like, yeah, I wasn't sure if it, why it didn't come to theaters or if it did, what theaters did it come to? Cause I had never heard of it. I remember like even being a person in 2006 and 2007 and 2008, who was pretty like up to date on like film, like was a film buff, new movies and was excited to see movies. Uh, did like this one, kind of snuck in under the radar when i finally got a hold of it it was like a couple years later in college i rented it from the media library and i thought there was something wrong with my tv because the film looked so crappy on on dv this is a dvd on a standard definition television um it just looked so terrible that i thought maybe it was it was like a european movie or something that i just that like just never made it overseas like i in the internet also back in the mid aughts i don't think they had like a ton of information on the film and even today there's not a ton of information on the film like it kind of feels like a a smaller project that david lynch did with some of his friends he shot it himself using a standard definition video camera he actually acted as the dp (laughs) and and shot the film himself and then and tried to self-release it in an age when, you know, DVD was still king. There wasn't any, there wasn't Blu-rays yet. And the internet wasn't like a super viable, I guess, place to sell stuff. Um, let me actually look up when Radiohead came up with In Rainbows. Because... 2008. Yeah. I so, think. so then, so I guess if you think about it, two years later, Radiohead will release an album that's only online, pretty much. Like... Or, or it's like you you pay what you want to download yeah. uh, the album. And so I feel like this film kind of came out before that model was ready or something. Because I think that's what Lynch probably would have preferred is just to sell this thing almost like out of the trunk of his car. Yeah. Because there's still to this day not a good... There's not even... Okay, so I full disclosure, I downloaded this on the internet. Like I, I torrented this film because I could not find it in time and I didn't ask you for the Plex stuff, which I should have, but you can't even find a, a good torrent of the film. Like uh, the, the highest quality torrent I found was a 720p. So not even a full 1080p version of the film. Yeah. Yeah, man. So that, yeah. that's my experience with it. What, what about, what about you? Oh, well, first of all, uh, you know, both times I've seen the film completely legal. Um, you know, I, I spent the $140 to get the, uh, what is it like the European Blu-ray or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, if you're, if you're listening to this and you manage to watch this film (laughs) one way or another, uh, if you manage to A, find it and B, get through it, um, congratulations. (laughs) You deserve a treat. Uh, here's the thing about, so, okay, so the first time I watched it, um, I was, I had kind of 
I had seen pretty much all David Lynch for the most part, except for like Dune and uh, Elephant Man, and I guess the Straight Story. But I'd seen all the like proper David Lynch movies, and I kind of knew going into it that Inland Empire was like pretty weird and uh, pretty polarizing. So I I don't know. I was I was not super uh, impressed with it. This recent time around. Uh, Kind of the same thing, although here's what I'll say about Inland Empire, and I did watch it differently this time, and I think this is the way to watch it, is to, like, merely absorb it as if you are, like, looking at a painting. Um, Mm. You know, what I love about Inland Empire is it's, like, pure, unfiltered David Lynch. Like, we'll talk more about this, but he was, like you said, he he was filming it himself, uh, he was writing the script. He didn't have a script or nothing near complete when they started filming. Uh, like the Poland thing, like he he just like made up like during the shoot because he had gone to Poland during the shoot or something and like really liked it there and was like, oh, let's do stuff in Poland. And it's really like, uh, you know, he says The Straight Story is his most experimental film. I would say this is from my point of view, probably is most experimental. Yeah. Um, just truly like directionless production for the most part, from what I've read. And, uh, you know, the sort of like writer, like storyteller guy in me is kind of like, man, I don't love the gimmick of like, we're making something without a script and we're just going to go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, I I do like that there exists three hours of just total unfiltered like David Lynch, yeah, just like the rawest possible. Like you, it's almost like you're. I don't know. It, there is something interesting about it because you're you're all of his films and stuff are very fine tuned and and everything's very you know methodical. And with this, it's like you're seeing elements of everything. You know, there's certain shots, like there's a, one of my favorite David Lynch shots is when, in this movie, when Laura Dern's like walking through the woods at night, and I think it like transitions from something else, and it's kind of like overlaid over something else, and it looks cool, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then she walks up to the camera and is like smiling all weird. Um, I love that shot, and that's, uh, you know, there's a few, there's a few moments like that in this movie where I'm like, oh, maybe it was all worth it just for that. But I will say that, like, this is not a satisfying movie for me. (laughs) (laughs) This is merely, like, a novelty for me and probably a lot of David Lynch fans. And, uh, we, you know, we, we talk with Kubrick and Lynch, we always talk about afterwards, like, what do we think the movie means? And, uh, I always can at least cobble together some kind of a theory. Uh, I have no fucking idea what this movie is about. (laughs) And I kind of, like you said, like I don't necessarily care. Yeah. Cause I feel like David Lynch doesn't care (laughs) what the movie's about. Right. Um, I I feel like story. I mean, it's pretty obvious that like story is not, is not the point of this, this film. I, I mean, I, I don't even know, like, I guess if someone was like in like a phrase or a sentence, what is this movie about? I, I'd be like, I guess Hollywood, 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know, I guess. It, it has, like, loose themes strung together that seem to connect it, the various parts of it. It A lot of, like, reviews you look up for the film talk about how it feels like dream sequences all stitched together. And that, to me, tracks. Like, you know, I, I think that there's not really a... There's sort of a main story with Laura Dern in the production of this movie and her husband and stuff, but it's not like um, it doesn't adhere to any kind of story structure. So it more just feels like a loose experimental premise. I, I think that like my big hang up with the film is, is mainly aesthetics. Like, I was talking to Jackie who has to sit and watch a lot of these films <laughs> sitting right next to me. And, you know, for the most part she digs them and, and this one, she was kind of tuning out. And I, and I had this thought as I was watching it because it just looks so ugly. Like it's, it's yeah. just so ugly to look at. I just turned to her and I was like, I think my hang up is that I just can't take it seriously. Cause it, it looks like old home video footage that my dad would have shot. I mean, the shots are more composed than that, but it like the colors, uh, the way the camera is never never feels like it's like on sticks. It's always like shaky, like really. We it has a st- student film vibe to it that like mm-hmm. makes me feel like this isn't done by a world class director, and and because of that disassociation. I, I have a hard time even paying attention to the movie because I'm like, uh, it doesn't feel like there's any there's anything here impactful. And it's a real shame because I think had this movie been shot on film with an actual DP and like a lighting crew and stuff, I think I might at least like it as much as one of the ones I like less, you know? <laughs> Like yeah. it might just sit, it's not, you know, as, cause as of now, I think it's like, I don't know which I'd like worse, this or Dune, like Dune kind of is at the bottom. <laughs> this one's kind of at the bottom. Um, but yeah, I just, I just wish it had, it had a, a, that nice film quality to it that all of his other films have, because even his more experimental films like Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive, they look amazing. <laughs> I will say kudos though to getting all these actors to do this film. I can't believe the cast list. <laughs> on oh Inland yeah, Empire. it's 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 wild. I had forgotten William H Macy shows up in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, it's it's. It's just really odd. It's also odd that this was this is his last feature film. This might be just straight up his last ever feature film. Uh, I hope not, but mm. you know, I could see it being the last one. He also has said in an interview that he'll never go back to film, like filming on on film on yeah. Sorry to yeah, to shooting yeah. on film. He said something to the effect of, I've never worked on a project this way. I don't know exactly how this thing will unfold. I don't have the quote in front of me, but essentially it's something to the effect of, um, yeah, I'll never, I'll never work with film again. Something like that. Um, do you remember the, uh, did you ever read the thing about David Lynch with the Laura Dern for your consideration? 
mm-hmm. thing with the cow. Yeah. Do you know about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That shit's great. So, yeah. So, uh, for the listener, in 2006, David Lynch uh, uh, was convinced that Laura Dern's performance in Inland Empire, which I will say is very good, uh, he, he thought it deserved an Oscar. So, uh, he set up a chair on the side of the, a corner on Hollywood Boulevard, the corner of Hollywood and La Brea, very busy, and uh, he was sitting in basically a director's chair next to a live cow mm-hmm. and a huge poster uh, that just says Laura Dern for your consideration and a picture of Laura Dern on it, and he's just like sitting there smoking cigarettes <laughs> and like <Yep>. hanging out. <laughs> Which is so great. awesome. <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. shit I love, right? That's that's good stuff right there. And I remember and I remember hearing about that before the film, before hearing about the film. Like like oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said without cheese there would or there wouldn't be an inland empire. So uh so jeremy let's talk a little bit about uh inland empire okay so the inland empire is a metropolitan area and region in southern california inland of and adjacent to los angeles it includes the cities of western riverside county and southwestern san bernardino county and is sometimes Oh, we're talking about the movie. (laughs) I actually kind of thought you were trying to set us up to talk about the film by describing what the actual Inland Empire is, which wasn't the worst way to go about it. (laughs) I was like... No, I I lived in uh, the Inland Empire for a brief period of time when I was like, just moved to uh, the LA area. And um, it's a weird place. And I was like excited... I, I was excited to see David Lynch's take on uh, Inland Empire because it's a really bizarre. It's it's really crazy, even though it's like right by L.A. It's like it's really odd. And uh, I come to find out, uh, I forget who said it, but or or where where he said this, but he basically just thought the words Inland Empire sounded cool. So it has nothing to do with like the Southern California area of. Uh, <laughs> The Inland Empire, but uh, right because it's mo- it, this is mostly about Hollywood, right? Do they even go to yeah. quote unquote no, the okay? I, <laughs> I don't think so. uh, okay, so 2006, written, direction, directed, co-produced by Lynch. Uh, David Lynch did the cinematography, editing, score, and sound design. Uh, he's also we hear him singing a little bit, or you know, ta- talking, making music. Uh, Co-produced by uh, Mary Sweeney, who was his wife at the time. Um, You know, uh, released with the tagline, A Woman in Trouble. (laughs) Uh, The film was completed over a three-year period and shot in L.A. and Poland. Uh, Okay, so here we go. So the film was shot without a finished screenplay, instead being largely developed on a scene-by-scene basis. And it was shot entirely in low-resolution digital video by Lynch himself using a Sony camcorder rather than traditional film stock. You texted me about this earlier. You said you found the price of the camera that he used was it's, like it's going for on about for about three hundred bucks on eBay right now. But I that's maybe not uh, I that's maybe not the most fair joke to make because it's it probably was much more expensive back in two thousand six. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. 
Lynch has stated that he will no longer use film. Uh, we talked about that. He explained his preference, stating that the medium gives one more room to dream and more options uh, in post. So this I love. Uh, so for six months after filming, Lynch, just in his home office, just you know, presumably chain-smoking like a madman, mm-hmm. chugging coffee, just sat there with Final Cut Pro and edited <laughs> the film himself, <laughs> which I love. That's so funny. I just love the image of that. Yeah. Uh, Lynch just sitting there. That sounds so fun. I got to say, like, this movie sounds like it, it was probably really fun to make. Yeah, it could be for sure. I mean, it's got, yeah, it's got a lot of fun people in it. Like, I imagine, like, Laura Dern, Justin Theroux, and Jeremy Irons hanging out must have been a blast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dern and uh, Justin Theroux both basically said in interviews they don't know what the movie's about. Uh, specifically, Justin Theroux said, couldn't possibly tell you what the film's about, and at this point I don't know that David Lynch could. <laughs> which I can't <laughs> I can't decipher what tone that... I don't know. I, I think I that... Can't, I, I can't decide I, if that was like playful or if he was annoyed but don't you kind of feel like me i mean maybe it's just me wanting to think this but i feel like justin Thoreau in real life is kind of like justin Thoreau in this movie like how he is yeah. sort of like this kind of cocky bastard but like and gives like the director a hard time like i wonder if that's sort of david lynch and Thoreau's relationship you know like because like in the movie Thoreau throws uh jeremy iron under the bus a couple times saying stuff like yeah, I mean, if you don't fuck it all up, Kingsley, we'll do a good job. <laughs> like, this will be a good film. Uh, I wonder if they kind of have that playful kind of relationship. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, interviewed. Uh, oh, okay. So marketing executives uh, were so puzzled by the film, they didn't know how to promote it. Uh, and Laura Dern said that the genesis of the whole project was a phone call from David Lynch saying, do you want to come and experiment? Mm-hmm. Which I think is fun. Yeah. I um, mean, you get the sense too, that all these people really like David Lynch, which I think is oh, yeah. probably the most heartwarming thing about the film to me is that these people came and worked with him because they love him. Like not, not cause they were going to get anything out of it. Like Ben Harper is in this movie. The musician, piano player, Ben Harper. What what point? What scene? He plays an uncredited piano player in the film. (laughs) Did you recognize him or did you? No, I'm looking at the cast list. I didn't recognize anybody. I didn't didn't know uh, Terry Crews was in the film. Oh, I recognize Terry Crews. He's out there on Hollywood Boulevard with the uh, sort of towards the end when Laura Dern's like, going nuts and then we finally see the cameras oh okay yeah yeah towards yeah. the end i i, I yeah. must have i don't know looked away or something yeah, in that's that moment Terry Crews sitting there but that's cool um, it's like it's like uh mary steenburgen's in the film grace sabrinsky she's great yeah yeah, yeah like it, it's yeah. it's got like a pretty awesome cast that people i'm sure just really wanted to work with david lynch and uh, you know if you're an actor in hollywood the proposition of doing something experimental and avant-garde i bet it i bet it like must be very enticing yeah yeah especially for a guy like like david lynch um so let's dive into the old uh you know i guess i'll use the word plot Mm -hmm. here (laughs) (laughs) 
okay, so let's see here. Open do you want you want you want me to do you want me to do the plot? Internet. You want me to go through it? Yeah, sure. If you want. Hell yeah, dude! I know how to read. <laughs> I'll read. I'll read right from this Wikipedia here. <laughs> in a hotel room, a young prostitute identified in the credits as the Lost Girl cries follow uh, cries following an unpleasant encounter with her client while watching a television show about a family of sur- uh, surrealistic anthropomorphic rabbits who speak in cryptic statements and questions. I believe the rabbits, by the way, are played by somebody named Scott Coffey and Naomi Watts and Laura Herring. Those are the three yep. actors, right? A gramophone plays Axon N, the longest running radio play in history. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, actress Nikki Grace, Laura Dern, auditions for the lead role in the film On High in Blue Tomorrows. Nikki uh, is visited by a Polish woman, Grace Zabrinski, who claims to be her neighbor. The woman tells Nikki two stories about a boy who, looking at his reflection in the mirror, created evil, and another about a girl who, wandering through an alleyway behind a marketplace, discovers a palace. Yeah, so all this stuff seems like, uh, you know, it, it. I remember the first time watching this, I was like, I can't believe this is how this whole movie looks. Right. Uh, you know, it's really, uh, I mean, it's it's it really is something. You're really seeing just like, uh, you know, unpolished mm-hmm. faces. Like, I'm specifically thinking of the man in the interrogation room. Right, um, yeah. Later on, but you're really seeing like people's like sweaty faces. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, just the way, I mean, David Lynch is really getting up there in front of like Grace Zabritsky and stuff. It's, she's, she's great in this movie too. And I, at this point, I am still kind of like, you know, okay, we're getting like a decent setup here. You know what I mean? Like, oh, sure. It's kind of like a classic David Lynch setup. It seems like, you know, it almost seems like everything up to the point where Laura Dern, we find out Laura Dern is the person who was like backstage or whatever mm-hmm. in the studio. Mm-hmm. It seems like all everything before that and that part was like, scripted beforehand and then afterwards is what was unfinished and they were just kind of like David Lynch was just kind of like rolling with it I you know I wonder I wonder how much was scripted versus how much was kind of goof off experimental because it feels like this stuff with Grace Sabrinsky you're absolutely right like she's not coming up with this off the top of her head like that isn't that I can't imagine that's the case that seems too crazy (laughs) yeah yeah uh because I also do think that, you know, the girl who wandering through an alleyway behind a marketplace discovers a palace, like that is something that will end up happening later on. We'll see that sort of visually represented on screen a little bit later on, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point, buddy. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know what happened. I I think that like, it does. I don't know how you're going to get Jeremy Irons to just like go, you know, just yeah. like start acting. Uh, but he does. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. I had something I wanted to say about that too. Oh, I know I was going to say there are, there are things about the plot and the just general premise of this film that I actually love. 
Like I do, yeah, me too. I do love the idea of a woman getting her role conflated with like her real life or the mirror of that happening in such real time that she gets confused as to where she's, where she is, whether she's being on set or like, you know, in her personal life. I think that's great. And I think this entire Polish film that was never finished, like yeah, haunted. I thing, love that part. That shit's so yeah. cool. Like, I think that's a, that's a great idea. Like I, and in anything that has to do with that idea is kind of the standout stuff for me. Um, but anyways, uh, the woman predicts that Nikki will get the role and asks her, asks her if her character is married and if the plot involves murder. Nikki denies both, but her neighbor, but her neighbor disagrees. The next day, and this conversation ends with like Nikki basically telling grace sabrinsky to get the hell out of here because she starts kind of freaking out on her a little bit right yeah yeah so i actually know where this location is i've been in this um this apartment complex it's actually on franklin i believe um, oh really yeah yeah like i i that uh little foyer that lobby is kind of unmistakable it's so old hollywood it's kind of hard wait uh, at what point? What scene is this? This is the the conversation with Grace Sabrinsky and Laura Dern. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look, oh, that's at a uh, an apartment complex. That's I I I am almost a hundred percent sure it is because it's like a it looks like a hotel lobby that they're kind of talking yeah. in. But I yeah. think it's an apartment complex on Franklin, which has this sort of enormous lobby area that's kind of furnished in that same way. But if okay. it's if it's not that, it could be a, a different apartment complex. I just for some reason I have a feeling it was shot there because of how accessible that location would have been and how unique that vibe is. Like I remember going in there feeling like this is a weird apartment complex. Like this is a weird layout. This almost feels like a hotel. And then seeing this, I was like, oh, that looks like the same place because I I I, yeah. I shot something in that in that building. So. Uh, it would have been an easy uh, getting that location would have been easier for David Lynch, especially if he was doing it by himself. Um, right. So yeah, uh, the meeting goes badly. The Grace Sabrinsky runs away, but she sort of points, doesn't she point at like where Laura Dern's going to be tomorrow. And then like, it just kind of, we turn with Laura Dern and it just turns into the next day. Right. Is sort of how that works. Uh think so yeah so the next day nikki celebrates having won the role as her husband uh piotrek watches her nikki meets the film lead actor devin burke justin thoreau Uh and the two begin a relationship though devin is warned by his entourage that nikki is out of bounds due to her husband's power and influence uh i guess we later during the I feel like we're getting a little out of order here. Like it's, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. So they do start a relationship and I guess we can kind of talk about that now if you want, like how they start that relationship. Is there anything of note here for you? <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I like, I like this. I like the cast so far, you know, I like the, uh, yeah, I do. The, the Putrek, Putrek guy is like, I'm not a huge fan of, but uh, 
I like the cat. We got Harry Dean, right? We got Harry Dean in there. Oh yeah. At this point. Well, I guess yeah. The the, the way the Wikipedia has it spelled out, like they kind of just like skip to they have like oh these two people have a relationship, but before that we get like the introduction to Jeremy Irons and Harry Dean Stanton and yeah they kind of lay out the entire concept of the film on high and blue tomorrows like they get we get that meeting with them where he gives the speech and then they talk about it later and this is all before Nikki and Devin start having an affair yes yeah and we get the like creepy moment in the you know they're at the table right um on the set and they hear a noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They hear a noise uh, and Justin Thoreau goes and checks it out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, um There are moments where I I do get I do get fooled uh pretty much every time a movie does this where you like realize something was actually a scene and a thing they were filming in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get fooled by that all the time. I got I got I got you know, David Lynch pulled a couple a couple of those over on me in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh when David, uh, when uh, uh, you know Thoreau and and um, Laura Dern are out there on the, uh, they're on like a balcony or something, they're like mm-hmm. sitting outside, right? Um, and they were actually yeah, shooting yeah. it, yeah. Um, yeah. so uh, later during a rehearsal, the crew is interrupted by a disturbance. That's what kind of what we just talked about. Devin investigates but finds nothing. Shaken by the event, director Kingsley Stewart confesses that they're shooting a remake of a German feature entitled 47. I, I thought it was a Polish movie, but, um, yeah, me too. I think that, I think, I think, that, I think this it is. might be wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it is a Polish movie and it's cause yeah. I've heard, uh, you know, some theories that the stuff in Poland is like from, uh, the original, like the Polish movie or whatever. Like everything we see in Poland is like a part of that production or uh actually like part actually like scenes from that movie. Oh the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's cool. Like was so is this is this real? Is this based on a real film? No. I I don't think so. Gotcha. Okay. So Production was abandoned after both leads were murdered. This is in the Polish film, creating rumors of the film being cursed. One day, Nikki finds a door marked Axon N in an alley behind the set. Upon entering, she finds herself at the rehearsal weeks before, and she causes the noise that Devin investigated that day. Nikki escapes into the home of a character named Smithy. Devin looks through the windows, but sees only darkness. Yeah, okay. So this all of this stuff to me seems like it was maybe the that was the idea that David Lynch had and then he was like, "All right, let's just make the rest of it up." <laughs> the next yeah. two two plus hours we'll just we'll we'll just wing it. Yeah, we'll just wing, we'll just figure it all out. At this point also, we've already met Julia Ormond, right? Like uh, Julia Ormond is the British actor who we see her for a brief second in the interrogation room. She's like being oh, yeah, brought yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. We see her. She's got like a screwdriver in her or something. Yeah. In the house, Nikki finds Piotrek in bed 
and hides from him in a closet where she encounters a troop of prostitutes who advise her to burn a hole through silk with a cigarette and look through the hole. Nikki complies and sees and sees one of the film's characters, Doris Side or Julia Ormond, tell a policeman that she had been hypnotized by a man known as the Phantom to murder somebody with a screwdriver, but finds the screwdriver embedded in her own side. A mysterious organization claims to have uh, captives from Inland Empire in 1930s somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> prostitutes are beaten by pimps while murder permeates the city. Nikki, yeah. having some, uh, become one of the group of present-day prostitutes, wanders the streets while her companions ask, "Who is she?" Nikki asks. Yeah, I yeah. did. Did I? So this is when they're there. It's at night, and they're out. They're out there in the in Poland. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so. I think I remember hearing or reading that like this was like freezing that like Laura Dern had to like get out of the car and like film and then like run back in get the car. Into a car. Yeah. yeah. It and definitely just, looks to cold. Get out and film at like 20 seconds at a time. Cause it was like below freezing. Yeah. It definitely looks cold. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Nikki's character, Sue meets a policeman at a nightclub and tells him how she was abused in her childhood which led to her prostitution. And now she is being pursued by a red-lipped man. Sue hmm. arms herself with a screwdriver in response. She also mentioned her husband, mentions her husband, Smithy, a circus bear tamer with no connections to both the pimps and the organization. Sue walks down Hollywood Boulevard and sees Nikki, but is attacked by Doris, who is hypnotized by the phantom to kill her. Doris mm-hmm. stabs Sue with her own screwdriver and Sue falls at a bus stop where two homeless women talk about a prostitute named Nico, a beautiful woman whose blonde wig makes her look like a movie star, thus allowing her to walk through the rich district without drawing attention. Yeah, so this is like around the point where I'm just uh, <laughs> sort of like hovering in and out of um you know consciousness <laughs> and right like, right and what like i like almost the point where i kind of like give up at you know mm-hmm. uh i mean i do like i did try i try i tried <laughs> i really tried to like be very attentive this recent watch and it's it's a hard movie to it's hard to stick with yeah you know especially at this length it's uh right I don't know. I also feel like it, it lacks a little bit of the humanistic element that the other films have. Like, even yeah. in his more experimental movies, like, for example, Wild at Heart, which is very experimental, there's still moments in it where the two characters are having an interesting, very interesting conversation that you can connect with because it's either cool or meaningful or relatable. And that stops happening in this movie, I think, at the point you pointed out earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, one of the women holds a lighter in front of Sue's face until she dies. 
<laughs> King Kingsley yells, cut! And the camera pans back to show that this has merely been a film scene. Kingsley informs yeah. Nikki that her scenes for the film are complete. In a daze, Nikki wanders off set and into a nearby cinema where she sees not only on high in blue tomorrows, but events that are currently occurring. She wanders to the production room, but finds an apartment building marked Axon N. There, Nikki confronts the red-lipped man, now known to be the Phantom, and shoots him. The Phantom transforms into a deformed version of Nikki, and then Mm -hmm. into a bloodied figure before dying. Nikki flees into room 47, which houses the rabbits on television, though she fails to see them. She yeah. Then, so yeah. the rabbits are uh, the rabbits before the rabbits existed before this movie, right? They right. were the, uh, I, I guess, like a web, like a a web series, essentially. This is like because you know David Lynch, David Lynch like got in early on like doing videos on his website, like he was right. doing the weather reports and rabbits and stuff well he also so like was, loved short yeah. film too like he loved making yeah. shorts and i think i think he still kind of does right like I, I would consider the the monkey the mo- yeah. monkey thing he made kind of a short um yeah so uh she then meets the lost girl and they kiss nikki and the rabbits disappear in a white light, and the lost girl escapes from the hotel and into Smithy's house, where she's hap- where she happily embraces her husband and son. Nikki, back at home, smiles victoriously as the Polish woman at the Polish woman and finds a one-legged mm-hmm. woman, Tracy Ashton, that Sue had mentioned. Nico, the prostitute, and a monkey. The end credits roll over a group of women dancing to Nina Simone's Sinner Man while a lumberjack saws a <laughs> log to the beat. Yep, that's, that's what happens. And that's that's the end of David Lynch's film career. <laughs> Man. What Just, an end. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like... It's it it will just forever be like a thing that I appreciate more than I actually enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Yeah. I don't like I'm I'm glad that this exists in a way, but I, I, I don't think I will ever watch it again. Maybe I will. But uh I mean if this movie got like a well, I guess I don't know. I, I, I don't know what format could possibly make this movie like look great but right. <laughs> you know if there was some kind of like criterion release or something with maybe some special features i might might be inclined to check that out but uh no i don't know i think it's it's just like like i said like the gimmick of like starting a movie and and not really having a script and not really knowing what you're going to do it's just it's just like I feel like I, I sort of give it the thought and attention that it deserves in a way where I'm like, even as a huge David Lynch fan, I'm like, I don't feel bad for not really liking this movie that much. Sure. Um, that's the thing about like, you know, experimental filmmaking is like, it's experimental and 
experimental means that you're taking risks and the risk is that it, the thing you're making might suck. And I don't think this movie sucks, but I, I, you know, I, it doesn't do it for me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I do kind of think it's cool that at this point in his career, David Lynch was like, I just want to make a movie the way that like, you know, I would have to make a movie if I was like just starting out and like broke and in, in this time period and, and, you know, do what I can with what I have. Uh, granted, he does have like really exceptional talent, you know, involved, but I don't know. It's kind of fun to watch, uh, to see what it's like, to see what David Lynch editing his own footage that he shot himself for three hours it's fine, and and some of the music and stuff is good, but yeah, it's not uh, uh, not my favorite, not my favorite David Lynch. Also, possibly not my least favorite. I, I I've been yeah. thinking about this. I think I uh, I think I ha- I think my least. I think this might be like my third least favorite or something, second or third. But uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? What What are your overall thoughts, Jeremy? Well, I mean, I'm pretty much in agreement with everything you said. I, I kind of feel the exact same way. I think I will watch this again probably several more times in my life, but I don't know what the situations are going to be. I find myself very intrigued by things I don't understand or things that I find impenetrable or hard to watch. I also want to point out that the critical reception of this film wasn't actually that bad. Like People liked this. Peter Travers, who's kind of a shitty film critic for Rolling Stone magazine, wrote, my advice in the face of such hallucinatory brilliance is that you hang on. Um, You know, people call this like David Lynch's Sunset Boulevard, David Lynch's Persona or his Eight and a Half. Like people like this movie, a dazzling, exquisitely original riddle as told by an as told by an enigma. Uh, which is what uh, Damon Wise of Empire Magazine called it. Like, people like this movie. It has a fairly high Metacritic rating, a fairly high Rotten Tomatoes score. It, it's just... I, I, It just looks, like, awful. It just looks so bad. And, the, and it takes such wild, experimental, avant-garde swings, and it goes on for so long that it kind of like it really beats you down. So for me, for my money, it might be down towards the bottom, but I will say I'm probably going to watch this again. I don't think it's, I don't think it's terrible, but, but maybe that's just cause I don't understand it. You know, like I, I, yeah. I, I, I want to stick up for this film and being like, it's cool that stuff like this does exist. Cause we need this kind of stuff out there. But yeah, that's that's kind of my where I stand on it. Yeah, you know what would make me watch this again is if, uh, um, is if like someone explained a theory to me that I that I thought was cool, like a like a like an interesting theory, right? Um, I'm kind of blanking. I did I did do some reading uh, on Reddit. Yeah. Uh, any, after any, I watched anything, this. come up. I mean, it's. Um, I'm trying to think of one. I'm I'm drawing a blank, but 
Eh, I can't remember anything. It was nothing. <laughs> no, there was nothing. Nice. No one had come up with anything that like truly blew my mind or anything. That I was like, whoa. Like there wasn't any sort of like twist of like it was all a dream kind of a thing. Like mm-hmm. it, it that uh, that anyone you know put out there that that I could. if you if you are listening and you have some sort of a theory about what the hell's going on in this movie, happy to hear it. Chucky rules four twenty is our Twitter. Right, handle. right. Tweet at us. Yeah. Uh, and, and let us know. Uh, but yeah, I don't, uh, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I f- almost feel like, uh, I don't need to think too hard about this one. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. I, I would um, also say that, um, uh, you do not need to torrent this film. You do not need to buy a, you know, $140 Blu-ray, you can watch the entire film for free on YouTube. FYI. Really? I just found this out just now. Oh, yeah. That's how I watched it. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you, you could, this might be, depending on who you ask, the easiest David film to see. <laughs> David Lynch film to see. So, oh, my God. It was just there on YouTube this whole time. I know. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I knew that, <laughs> but... Because I watched it on YouTube. Well, right, but, of course uh, you did. I did not. No, know. I watched it on Daily Motion. Ah, uh, hey, if that's so funny. The motion of the ocean, right? Uploaded on this. Uploaded like six months ago. Yeah, that's six great. months ago, and it's like it. It's also in 720p. It's streaming and the quality that it's known for, the highest quality that exists for huh. it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> cool. There you go. Good to know. Uh, all right. Cool. So um, next week we will be doing AI, uh, which is, you know, Steven Spielberg, a Stanley Kubrick uh, production. We'll talk about We'll talk a little bit about that. But we'll do AI, and then we'll dive into the return. Absolutely. And uh, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Get those sweet, sweet bonus episodes for $5 a month. Uh, and, uh, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. (laughs) 